Hello, welcome to the Better Questions Podcast. I'm so grateful you've joined us. I am here today with a very special guest, my friend and colleague, Morgan Hollick. Morgan, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. I am so glad you are here. Morgan is here live in the studio. And by studio, I mean my office, (laughs) which kind of looks like a studio right now. So I'm grateful you're here. Um, part of the reason I wanted Morgan to come on is one, Morgan uh, is on staff with me at Eastminster. She's super smart. Um, she grew up, you grew up uh, Pentecostal, yes. kind of in that space. And we've had a ton of questions come in on the charismatic gifts, mm-hmm. on speaking in tongues. And I thought, who better to bring on <laughs> than Morgan? Uh, Morgan, why don't you tell us just a little bit about your kind of faith upbringing and kind sure. of where you grew up? Yeah. Yeah. So... I'm a pastor's kid myself. Uh, my dad was a pastor of a deeply Pentecostal, charismatic church. Um, so that's what I was raised in. Have a lot of stories from it. Ended up going to seminary myself. And yeah, now I'm working at Eastminster, which is a evangelical Presbyterian church. Yes, which is very different if yes. you're uh, looking at the spectrum of evangelical <laughs> churches and um, Presbyterians and Pentecostals are, are usually quite different. And you actually went to Princeton for yes. your graduate work. Yep. And uh, so you've got kind of a real mixed bag with your experience yes. growing up, but also with your education and everything. Um, so I'm just going to dive right in. I'm going to yeah. throw a bunch of questions out. And okay. with your kind of experience, um, hopefully we can help people tackle some of these. So question number one, here we go. What are we to make of the charismatic gifts and another question to go along with that why is it that those who choose to attend pentecostal churches seem to receive them but those who attend other churches don't is one side wrong (laughs) that's a loaded ending question yeah um well i think all around i think the question is just incorrect in assumption Mm. i like you said was raised in a very um, evangelical church, Pentecostal, saw all the things. Um, And I think we start to tap into just some of the hurt that happened there is I wanted nothing more than to speak in tongues. Mm. Um, I mean, my own, yes, he was my pastor, but he was also my dad told me to be saved. I had to. Hmm. And I could not believe the amount of faith I tried to rummage up from inside, whatever that could possibly mean. I mean, just the desperation and longing to do the thing that everyone else seemed to do easily. And I remember just, you know, opening my mouth and just just blabbering out whatever I could just to try to participate and join people. Because that desire of a child to just do what everyone else is doing. Um but it never felt like just a genuine, natural prayer language. Mm. And I think I had the question of like, why not me? Why everyone else but me? Like, am I not Christian? Am I not chosen? Does God not love me? Like, is my faith not big enough? And it did horribly damaging things to Mm. my relationship with God. Um, So I think the, the assumption of like, oh, well, people in pentecostal churches can speak in tongues and people who don't can Hmm. i think that's absolutely not true and beyond me is because of the culture and group i grew up in i know a lot of people who grew up in the pentecostal church and have left because they just couldn't 
do the thing that everyone else was doing and they felt like because of that they didn't belong anymore yeah that is interesting and again I, i'm not familiar outside of my limited knowledge of the pentecostal movement which i understand some of the history behind the movement um, but i haven't had a ton of experience mm -hmm. i have one memory uh, i was overseas on a mission trip and uh, in the middle of a service somebody began to speak in tongues and it was something i'd never heard before i was like what? i think because i'd heard about tongues yes but like you know you never seen it i grew up baptist yes. and it was very like it just wasn't the thing you did um and i remember being like that that's tongue that's crazy and then um somebody stood up and said they had an interpretation and it was like oh like this is like they said it would happen in the bible but then during the worship, like everybody started doing tongues. I'm like, well, what is this? Mm -hmm. um, and so like, it was just like a totally mind blowing, never seen it before kind of experience for me. Yes. Not, I, I wasn't uncomfortable. It was more just like, felt like I was like another planet. Mm -hmm. I've like, not seen it before. <laughs> um, let me ask you in, in your experience, what would you say in, in even looking into the scriptures, like what is speaking in tongues? Yes, I think that's a good question. And I think that there is just such a huge range of answers to that. And I would even say a huge range of answers within people seeking to interpret what they read biblically. Right. And so I think that's where we get to why people feel so confused about what speaking in tongues is today. And I can tell you my interpretation yeah. and the things I've taken away from my studies, but I will also say that I love and believe people who think differently are still seeking to tell the truth and yeah. interpret the Bible. Um, but let's take it back to like a basic, right? Acts 2, Pentecost. Mm -hmm. This is like peak Pentecostal text, right? Yeah, like yeah. they've built an entire denomination off of this encounter. And here's where I think I start to move away from the understanding of Pentecost that I was raised with is speaking in tongues, evidence of the spirit in you, evidence of salvation. I think when we start to put parameters and physical measurements on salvation, we're on very dangerous ground. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in Acts 2, they speak in tongues and then people around them, it's like they're exhorting, they're praising the Lord mm -hmm. in this very personal language and people hear it who are standing around and they were like, wait, that's my language. And they hear what they're saying to God. They hear about the gospel in a way that could only have happened via a miracle. Right. And then they repent and believe and are baptized. Mm. And you've got the converts. This is the launching, igniting of the church that we know it today. Yeah. So speaking in tongues, it was kind of two things. It was a miracle and it was means. It was something was happening that only God could do. Um, but it was also the means that God used to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, which is what the church is charged to do. Right. I think what it has become today in a lot of places is almost a measurement of personal holiness. Hmm. And that has almost no connection to Pentecost and what happened that day. I think there is something really special about speaking in tongues. I mean, to this day, I think there's this desire. I'm like, well, if God was to ever enabled me to do that i think it'd be amazing like it makes me think of 
a baby that's babbling, right? Right. It's not actually saying anything, but it kind of draws the attention of like mother. And then there's this like really special moment in connection happening. And so I think speaking in tongues, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 14. He returns to the church in Ephesus and there's confusion, right? There right. he's like, okay, you've been baptized and how have you been baptized? Well, we've been baptized in John's baptism. Like there's mm-hmm. just total miscommunication. Eventually, like he prays over them and it says like they receive the Holy Spirit and start speaking in tongues. But all of this, it's not about, this is like a, a clearing up of what this baptism was even about. Right. Um, so going back, this speaking in tongues, it is an opportunity to connect with God in a really special way. There's this poem by Mary Oliver that I love. Uh, And I don't know it word for word, but she says, every morning I wake up, I go down to the river. I ask God to empty me of all the fancy words I know. And then I begin to pray. Interesting. And it's this really special thing of like, before I try to make a case, maybe I should just bring myself. And so I think speaking in tongues offers us this opportunity to, instead of like being like, okay, let me address God properly. Let me set up straight let me do anything or be anything it's like how about just be yourself be honest don't try to paint anything fancy yeah um that's the point of speaking in tongues and like the miracle of people hearing the gospel who couldn't otherwise like that's god's business when it becomes anything about ourselves and like showing off or like measurement of salvation i think that's just not at all what tongues was Mm. um but like i said there are people who would argue that that i think love the lord and seek to understand the bible but i just don't land there right no 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 okay so much to unpack here i have so many questions (laughs) um i've heard it explained to me and maybe this is a bit of what you're saying too there's there's sort of this idea the terms used glossolalia almost like a prayer language yeah um, and, and so like when I, when I, my experience in churches where, um, people would speak in tongues often there, it wasn't what, when Paul talks about having someone interpret the tongues, mm-hmm. like it wasn't that type of thing, like a prophecy or, yeah. or a word from the Lord, but rather it was people just sort of expressing in a language that was personal to them or that was, I mean, again, I don't, mm-hmm. I haven't spoken in tongues, so I, I wouldn't yeah. know from experience, but, and then there was the other, which was like. A word from God that was there was an interpreter and 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 that so that that's how I guess I've had it explained to me. Um, what do you think for like okay, so like for a church like Eastminster, yeah, Presbyterian, yeah, it'd be rare that we would have a breakout during a service, not impossible, yeah. but rare um, of people speaking in tongues. What, what do you think, like, um, the word, you, what word would you have for a church like Eastman? So it doesn't really express this gift in particular. How should we approach that? How should we have conversations about it? Because I, I bet my guess would be these people would be like, whoa, that doesn't belong in church. We like everything yes. in order. And, right. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think this almost comes to the end of the first question you asked at the beginning, which is like, yeah. is one side wrong? Right. I think... My, what I have to say is actually something I would have to say to people who sit on both ends. Mm. And that is that we have to quit putting parameters or expectations or limits on how God encounters people mm. and how God works in people. 
it almost always shocks us in the yeah. gospel. You're like, whoa, haven't seen that before. Um, I think I God loves surprising us mm-hmm. <laughs> and saying, look again, try again. And so I think for a church like Eastminster, I mentioned 1 Corinthians 14 before. Paul says, it's good to desire the gifts of the Spirit. Yeah. Um, but he also says, pursue love. Right. But there's this distinction between desiring and pursuing. And I think there are people who sat fo- that started to pursue spiritual gifts, right? Yeah, so yeah. mixing up of kind of these commands, pursuing mm, gifts yeah. instead of pursuing love. And people like pursuing love that have forgot to desire gifts. Yeah. And there's kind of this both and, right? Like there's supposed to be this desire in us to communicate, to connect with God in really personal ways. Yeah. Um, that can look a lot of different ways. And also like to pursue love as in like the end all be all is not that you pray to God in a certain way. The end all be all is that you love and like along the way right. are connecting with God. Right. No, that's really good. I think even the, maybe even to go along with that, like one of the bigger questions too is just in terms of the charismatic gifts in general. So mm-hmm. tongues would belong in that category. All kinds of things. Prophecy. Yeah. Um, healing. Like you could, you could make a list. There's, there are those who make the case that those gifts ceased. Okay. That would be like mm-hmm. the cessationist view that with the apostles ending officially in the New Testament, um, that the gifts also Mm-hmm. stopped and then there would be the view that the no the gifts continued on the continuationist mm-hmm. view and um i was curious just your thoughts on that in general like where mm-hmm. I, I can guess where you land on that yeah. um but how would you defend your case for that or um do you see validity in both sides of that argument or discussion mm-hmm. or debate i'm gonna be honest with you I've heard you talk about this before, and I don't ever even remember this being something we discussed very much in yeah. seminary. I mean, even my, you know, Anglican, um, yeah. you know, very high church people, mm-hmm. I actually never really heard argue that prophecy is dead. Mm. Um, I honestly, I think I would need to really sit and study a little bit more of where the concept yeah. even comes from. I will say that my family attends a church. I won't name the church or anything yeah. in Wichita. And he preached a sermon saying that there are no longer prophets. And yeah. I remember them calling me up because for some reason they think I have, you know, some kind of authority on the matter. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, Morgan, like, we want to unpack this. Like, what? This isn't something we've held again. I mean, I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but I think it's so dangerous to try to say how God does and does not work in the world. Like you're telling people, I think it's not even like, oh, like don't expect prophets anymore. I mean, I'm not really looking for a human prophet, but like I would be careful to say, stop looking for God to work in these ways. Like I would say always look. Yeah. Like always wonder. Always like keep your eyes open and ask God for to continually open our eyes. Yeah. Um because I think miracles really do happen all around us. Um I think when <sighs> I think the Holy Spirit 
which is like at the center of all of these Mm -hmm. discussions, is all about God working in the world in bigger, more expansive ways than God ever worked before. Yeah. And so that's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Growth, change, inclusion, all of those things can be painful. And so I think there's this pushback, this desire to control, to limit the discomfort. Mm -hmm. But it's also an invitation to just lean into the discomfort that is for the sake of the gospel and the expansion of the kingdom. No, you're dead on. And I think the community of Christianity is so wide. There are so many denominations. There are so many expressions of worship Mm -hmm. that look very different um and even in the global south and in parts of asia like it's the charismatic church that's exploding right Mm -hmm. now where Mm -hmm. in europe and the united states sadly the other forms and expressions of faith are on the decline christianity is doing great just maybe not here Mm -hmm. um so it's just interesting to think about and and what that means and there there are a whole lot of questions that raises um I will, I will say, I I would put paint myself as... It's funny, you see, I love your comment that, that uh, you're like, hey, we didn't really talk about that. I think it's a very... I, I get stuck in my reformed, you know, bubble. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they get really bent up about this because, yeah. um, you know, they're all about Father, Son, Holy Bible. It can be very... Um, a, a discussion that, that oftentimes the Holy Spirit makes us a little nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's the whole just the unknown of it and like you know the funny thing is like when when you try to make the case and i've heard the case if i were to give one scholar who makes a compelling case for cessationism that would be tom schreiner he's a baptist he's he's really good i don't necessarily and he even admits like he says my case is largely based out of my experience he goes from the scriptures i can make a case um but it's 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 hard you're making a lot of you know, implicit claims. Mm-hmm. Because if you look like Rome, Corinth, Galatia, uh, Thessalonica, Caesarea, like all these places, like these miraculous and rev- re- revelatory gifts are being used and documented in the New Testament. Yes. So it's really hard to be like, it wasn't like it was just happening in Corinth. You know, it's like mm-hmm. this was happening everywhere. And even you go to like the early church and like even Augustine, um, for a while there was like, nope, miracles don't happen anymore. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, New Testament stuff. And then like all these people started getting healed in the village he was in. Mm-hmm. And he totally had like this shift and changed his mind. He's like, I used to believe this, but then I witnessed people literally be healed in my presence. And now I can't believe that anymore. Yeah. Um, and so even throughout church history, um, I think there's a case to be made from tradition from the text there's no i mean the burden of proof is on the cessationist to make the case and i mean just because there's nothing explicit that says that the gifts would have ceased it doesn't doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me but Mm -hmm. i will say out of my experience i am cautious because here's what i've seen and this is in my limited experience let me tell you let me tell you a story Okay. okay i am in um where was i this was in Australia. We went to this service, and it was an outdoor, almost like um, evangelical, like t- 
tent revival service. Okay, mm-hmm. and so they were bringing people in from all over, and they this guy, the pastor, gets up there, tells these wild stories. Yeah. He told this once. Okay, it's a crazy story. <laughs> Real quick, he's like, "So I'm up there preaching." He's got. The, I'm not going to do his Australian accent. Yeah. Picture it. But he's like, "I'm up there preaching," and there were these two witches in the back of the room, and the two witches all of a sudden charged me at the stage. And so he's got this, he's telling this story. I'm like, this is the creepiest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> these two witches sprinting up the aisle and everyone was freaking out. And I guess they just hit like an invisible wall before they got to him and fell over. And I was like, that's a cool story. I, won't, I don't know if it happened, but it's pretty cool. Yeah. And he tells all these stories about these crazy healings and he goes on and on and he's telling these like wild stories. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, he goes up to this woman and he says, has your head been hurting? And she said, yes. And he puts his hand on his head and he prays for her head to be healed. And he asked, does your head hurt anymore? And she said, no. Now, is there any way I can prove that she was healed in that moment? No, but I have no reason to doubt that she wasn't. And then the next thing, one thing after another, like people are speaking in tongues, like, like crazy stuff starts happening. Um, I don't know, I'm sure you've heard the term slain in the spirit, yes. right? So the pastor then is putting his hand on people and yelling, fire! And then they're falling over to the ground. Yeah. I mean, like, I was like, they're passing out. I've never seen this. I'm just like this, you know, we're Baptist. We don't do that kind of stuff. Matt, when I was a kid, yeah. once people were slain in the spirit, we had these like towel things that you'd put oh over their gosh. midsection and i was like the towel girl you were the towel so girl? i got to run around with the little things in case someone was slain in the spirit and just and we had green for the boys oh and pink goodness. for the girls <laughs> no oh, yeah. colors yeah okay so well okay you were tower girl I, I we were a bunch of college kids in this mission trip so we decided we were going to catch people because they were hitting the ground <laughs> and that's how like you know like the experience at least is there's something real about it because if I were to fall back like a trust fall, I would brace my body. They were just like, boom, yeah, slamming into the ground. I'm like, that's gotta hurt. Mm-hmm. So we are like getting behind people and catching them as they fall, mm-hmm. which was kind of exciting. I mean, yeah. the whole thing was pretty exciting. I was a towel girl, you were a catcher. I was a catcher. And by the end of the service, I just remember we were all sitting around. Most of us had never experienced anything like that. Except for one guy in our group who grew up in Indonesia and he goes, oh, this is this was church every week for me. And we're like, every week? <laughs> like, that's intense. That's ex- that, it may be pretty fun, but yeah. like, it's just such a different yep. expression. And I think that's one of the things that like we get so um, trapped in our box of like, this is how church is done. This is how worship is done. And anything other than that is, is like dangerous mm-hmm. and, like, or like wrong. Or, mm-hmm. And I will say this, I think that a lot of what we probably saw there was getting caught up in the mm-hmm. experience and the mm-hmm. emotion and, and, and even like, but, but I'll say this, I do think there was a lot of it that was probably legit. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's take it back to the text for a second though. Okay. Right. Yes. We start with Pentecost. This is an iconic moment mm-hmm. in the church world, right? Yes. Launching that like, this is a launching off point. So what is what is the saying? The greatest form of flattery is imitation. Mm. Like the church is inspired. So yeah. of course they're going to mimic this. And then Paul starts addressing it. But like, why would Paul need to address tongues if it wasn't getting a little bit messy and complicated? Right. right. So like from the very start, I think there's realness, there's importance, and there's 
perversion yeah. of something holy. So we've always struggled to get it perfectly right. I have stories. I have so many stories. I felt so popular in seminary only because I could tell stories of church growing up and people thought I was so funny. Oh they gosh. would gut laugh. My roommate, sometimes when we would just be having a hard day, she'd uh-huh. be like, Morgan, can you tell me a story of your church? Because she thought it was so yeah. funny. I There's this one specific story. We had our assistant pastor. Uh, you could call it, I guess, get slain in the spirit. But he got stuck in like a sitting pose. So like a wall sit, but without a wall. Oh, no. Okay. But I'm telling you, I was there. He was like yeah. that for like 30 to 45 minutes. And like, how do you explain that? Like you work out sometimes. Well, like sits are so flipping hard. Well, and just like the fit, like physically yeah. it's hard to explain. And I remember when he came out of it, he was like, yeah, the Lord was doing this work in me telling me like, I need to stop trying to be in control and I just need to take a seat. Right. And like, I have so many stories like that where I'm like, honestly, like it's hard to say that that one is like very theologically complicated. Like, God was doing something in yeah. him. And two, it's hard to explain that, you know, being like, no, the Holy Spirit had nothing to do with that. But also, I have 10 stories to that one of this seems a little bit complicated and wrong. Hmm. And so it's like, yeah, you you just want to push back and be like, let's just not do it. But also, like, this is my frustration it, it has less to do with speaking in tongues specifically and more to do with just like how we worship. Yeah. Because remember, speaking in tongues was originally an act of praise. Right. It is the refusal to engage bodily. Like it's like I'll sing, but we don't dance. You know, we don't raise our hands. We don't do this. But like all throughout scripture, like we are an embodied people flat mm-hmm. out. You cannot be a human yeah. without having a body. Your feelings, your emotions, your thoughts, all of that is an embodied experience. So why would worship not be? And like you can make the argument, okay, well, you're singing. That's a bodily experience. But like the idea that like raising your hands or dancing or clapping or jumping is charismatic is interesting to me. because. Oh, in the Bible, when people are yeah. worshiping, when they're grieving, they're r- dropping to their knees and ripping sackcloth off their bodies. They're yeah. self-flagellating. Like, it's a lot. Yeah. And that's people being honest with before God. How many of us can say, like, yes, I've grieved and I didn't, like, I, I had this moment in my life. It happened in seminary where I would say it was the first time in my life I experienced real grief. Hmm. And the depths of the pain of that were hard for me to even communicate because I had never even been given a language to say, like, this is how much it hurts. And when I was reading something like Job, when Job has this moment where he's like, I wish, like, the start of creation could have never happened because, like, you brought this about. And if you brought this about and we're able to feel this much pain, it should have never happened. Like, I'm getting deep into it now, but it's Mm. like this bodied experience of like just take me now god i hate this but it's honest yeah and it's like why are we not honest when we worship like why are we not honest with our praise because i'm telling you i don't need to know what's going on let's talk eastminster specifically i don't need to know every story 
I know statistically there are people in that room that need to drop to their knees. I know it, including myself sometimes. There are people in there that probably need to dance because Mm -hmm. God has just lavished blessings on them. And like, that's what it means. We talked the other day, we were talking about a TV show. Can't remember what TV show. Multiple staff members were talking. We're really into it. People's eyes are wide. They're using their hands to talk. They're like moving their bodies because they're passionate about it. And then it's like, when we read the Bible, we're dead stiff. Like, what does that through our bodies say about how we feel about praise and worship? Those are things that I think about. Though, slightly off topic, not, no, not, not at having all. to do directly with speaking in tongues. Very on topic. And just spitting gold nuggets. This is good. I have so many things to chew on. Um, yeah. No, I think, I think there's a lot of reasons. Um, People, I, th- I think it's cultural. Yes. You know, people can be very, you know, the Presbyterians have the reputation, the frozen chosen. Yeah. <laughs> They're, uh, they tend to be more rigid, and, and that's certainly an area of growth, I think, and an area where um, we, we certainly can learn. And because I know, like, my experiences where I have most deeply connected in worship, whether in a worship service or whether in, a, you know, worshiping in private or whatever like i have been on my knees mm-hmm. where i have been face down like I, I have one experience where i was on a run i'm training for a marathon i'm in the middle of um these d- dirt roads in sterling kansas like running these four mile loops and i had like this encounter like i felt like i was like um paul on the road to damascus like mm-hmm. it was like one of those like crazy moments where the lord just met me in a really powerful way and i like got on the ground after running like 16 miles mm-hmm. I, I mean i may have been like having the runner's high or something but it was like super like powerful moment where like the lord met me spoke to me but it was like a very physical thing like i felt yes. like pressed to the ground um and i do think that that is um a huge huge part of and, and you're right we use the term charismatic to describe it like yeah like oh your worship's not very charismatic you know, because you don't raise your hands. It's just an interesting how we use the term and how it's sort of taken on that meaning. And that binary so unhelpful. Right. Because, I mean, just like you see in politics, right? You've split people into two categories. Mm. And I think, I can't think of the term now, but it's like what your brain is able to think or process, it really is limits your ability to do anything. Like, yeah. you know, when you're talking about running, like our bodies are able to do far more than we actually think that they can because we think like, oh, I'm done now. Um, and so like when you make religion or Christianity binary in any kind of way, you start to like, you don't even invite people into thinking about it or mm-hmm. processing it. It's like, this is who we are. This is what we do. And there's things that are helpful to that. And there are things that are very unhelpful to that. And again, it just circles us right back to like, when you say this is how God works and this is how God doesn't, Mm -hmm. that's just such a dangerous description and limitation to a God that's never meant to be limited. Yeah, no, that's good. Okay, so this kind of leads us into the last question that was sent in. Um, And that's on healing. So the question was, can people still be healed physically? Oof, this is so exciting. I'm so excited to talk about this. Yeah, and I'll let you go first because you're excited. I have thoughts too, but you go first. Okay. 
So one of my favorite professors in seminary, Dr. Aaron Rafferty, she is a disability theologian. Mm -hmm. Now this might be a brand new concept to some people. This is essentially just studying God, studying the scriptures through the lens of people who are differently abled. And there is like, there's just a lot of terms within disability theology used that like, if you were to use it on an everyday, you know, conversation, someone might have no idea what you're saying, but a term thrown a lot around a lot in that is ableist. Mm. So it basically, it's a reading of the scripture as in everyone who's basically created or functioning the way they were supposed to quote unquote, you're saying like, there's this baseline of humanity and the baseline is me. That's dangerous, right? right? Because God made all kinds of people who are far different from you and there's nothing wrong with them. Yeah. So I remember her talking about a lot of healing stories in the Bible that changed my view forever Hmm. on how I read the Bible, how I understand healing. So we actually talked about this earlier, Uh, you know, Paul going into all of these places, you see them speaking in tongues, you see gifts of healing. But my question that I think is really important that we ask is to what end? Hmm. Well, like we have see all these things unfolding and what was the point? To bring God glory, right? right? To prove God's power. That was the point. The point was not that this person be changed or healed. Hmm. And so, It gets complicated, but there's kind of this, okay, let me make it personal. I have extremely bad vision, horrible, almost legally blind. I have contact lenses in now, but when I was younger, you know, now I have this view of like a lot of people need glasses. Like this isn't that odd. But when I was younger, I was so upset that I could not see and every once twice a year we would have a healing service Mm. so we would have this traveling preacher come and perform healings and miracles that was the goal now notice how that's already missing it Right. right the healing happened to show god's glory and power the healing was never like about the people but the whole point of the service was for people to be quote unquote healed but like if we're to get even deeper in that it's for them to return to this like this is what you're supposed to be to be human right and i remember years years i never missed a single one and i'd go up and i say i want my vision to be restored i want to be healed and years I wasn't healed, I wasn't healed, I wasn't healed. And I would ask my dad and I would ask that preacher, like, why am I not healed? And he'd say, well, you don't have enough faith. Must not have enough faith to be healed. Oh man, like, I just can't even explain how heartbreaking and in the- Especially as a kid. As a kid, yes. The wedge that put between me and God, I just could not fathom a God who loved me. Like, why why would god like how could he love me if he refused to heal me but she introduced this idea of like okay there 
the intersection of faith in these healing stories, like the woman who grabs on to the hem of Jesus's cloak. And it's like, is the story about her not bleeding anymore? Or is the story about a woman who had been ostracized and just completely forgotten about by an entire society now being grafted into the kingdom of heaven because of a faith that refused to believe she was what everyone else said she was. Right, because because of the ritual purity laws, like she couldn't go to the temple. She no. couldn't do anything. Like she, there's so no. many limitations put on her. It's like the healing is a both physical and the bleeding side, but more so it's, it's holistic and like, it's a spiritual healing. It's, yes. It's almost maybe one of the better questions to ask here is like, the question was posed, does healing still happen in a physical way? But it's like, can you even separate the two? Yes. So the question of, does is God still in the business of redemption and restoration? Mm -hmm. Yes. God will always be until it is fully finished. Yeah. We know this. This is a promise of the yep. gospel. Um. I think, does God quote unquote, quote unquote, fix people? I think we need to be careful and ask, what does it mean to be fixed? Right. Right. I too struggle with the idea of like, why do these things exist? Why do bad things happen? These are huge questions with really big, complicated answers. But I remember taking this ethics class when I was actually at Friends University, getting my undergrad. And we were talking about, um, I can't remember the term for it now, but it's kind of like scientific control of genetics. So like as genetics move forward, like, and say we had control over eye color, over, you know, height, over all these things, like from an ethical standpoint, when is, where is too far? And it starts early because there's this idea of like, okay, what if we could end special needs? What if mm. we could end blindness and deafness? Right. What if we could end this and that? So, of course, there's this group that's like, yes, that's amazing. That'd be awesome. There's entire people groups that would say, no, that's not. Why do you want to get rid of me? Right. Why do you want to get rid of my people and my culture? Yeah. Like we have something to offer here. So instead of looking at difference as a problem, Christians are extended an invitation to see difference as opportunity to see God in a way I haven't seen God before. They don't need to be gotten rid of. They need to be embraced and included in a way that we've struggled to include them before. And I'm not talking about illness. Right. There's, there's, I feel like there's a categorical difference here because it's one thing to have cancer yeah. and have that destroy your body. And another thing to be born blind is an example. Yes. Like the, the um, blind community, um, I, I would wager that there are some who would love to have our eyesight. I, there may be some who are proud to be a part of that community. And like, yeah. that's part of their identity. And um, there, I think there's a big difference there in how we kind of talk about healing just because 
illness is different, I think. Yeah. And just in where our values lie. I mean, what's that scripture? It's better to like have your eyes gouged out right. than to sin in this way that we're enabled mm-hmm. to via our eyes. Um, and I think sometimes we're like, oh, yeah, like it's metaphorical, but it's like right. there is opportunities extended to people of all different kinds of abilities. Um, that professor specifically, um, I believe her daughter has autism. I don't remember specifically what it is, but just through that personal experience, what she was able to offer and explain in new perspectives, it was really important. Um, I will also say this. I was a chaplain at Wesley Medical Center for a couple months. You have to get like four residency units to get board certified. So I got my first residency unit. Um, Just kind of at that point, trying to figure out if chaplaincy was something I wanted to do long term. Phew, it was not. Yeah. (laughs) It was trauma heavy. I don't know what I was expecting. But I remember someone who went to the church I grew up in was in the hospital and I she came across my patient list and she was in her final days of cancer and she had a very treatable cancer Mm -hmm. very curable and when she came in the nurse kind of like filled me in a little bit of, of what was going on she was refusing treatment because she believed that to receive treatment would be a demonstration of a lack of faith right And she just so deeply held the belief that, like, by my faith, that is what will heal me. And I wanted to include this story today just to include kind of the complexities of just the theology of healing. Yeah, that's really good. And I remember sitting in the room and her daughters were just broken and angry and kind of helpless. Yep. Like, I so badly want my mom to be healed. I want her to accept this treatment. Like, this is treatable. A husband who's heartbroken and grieving the loss of a wife who, you know, he doesn't really need to be grieving. But she was just unwilling to change this theology that ran deep. And she died. And I, when I went in to pray with her, you know, she kind of had this moment, you know, Morgan, I remember you when you were a baby, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, and I treaded really lightly, right? That's not something where you're like, your theology's wrong, change. Yeah. It was like, okay, like, this is where we are. Like, how do you want to pray together? And that was her final day of living. Um, mm. And I remember her praying, like, God, if it be your will your will heal me. Um, and if not, I'm ready to go home, Mm. but it was not uncommon to encounter people. Um, I was going to say of a specific denomination. That's not particularly helpful, but there are some denominational, you know, things, Mm. themes, I guess that run, um, that just had very unhelpful theology at end of life. That is one example. Another is just this deeply held belief that their illness is God-given because of their sin. Yeah, we talked about that in our last episode. Um, Just this idea in Jesus. There's that one example uh, in John where 
the guys asked, he's like, is it, was it the father's sin or was yes. it my sin yep. that, that, you know, that caused me to be blind? And Jesus is like, neither. Mm-hmm. And they kind of give him this false dichotomy. Yeah. Um, and it, again, what you've been saying this whole time, it's about the bringing God's glory yes. in the midst of it. Um, so we talked about that a lot, quite a bit, just this idea that uh, even, even God's role in suffering, um, so yeah, it's a whole other podcast. Yeah, but, but no, I yeah, that's definitely a big part. Of the, let me let me just ask a clarifying question. When you yeah. talk about a bad end of life um, theology in regards to healing, are you what? What did you mean by that? What I mean is, when your theology is with you, and the end of your life has come, is it drawing you deeper into a relationship with God, gotcha. or? Is it something that you're just kind of like through gritted teeth holding on to until your last breath? Like, is there something about it that is giving you a peace beyond understanding? Is there something about it that's proving this wildly glorifying witness of a God who has been with you from the beginning to the end to others? Or is it just this devastating story of, you know, a God who is not frankly, just very loving yeah. or graceful. Yeah. And so they came in many different shapes and sizes, but I think the theology is where like at the end of the life, it was like, it was kind of like a, you know, a relationship that you see kind of between fathers and sons sometimes where it's like, they never say, I love you. They never hug. It's right. kind of just like, I know he loves me somehow, some yeah. way, somehow. Yeah. Like we don't talk about it or ever show it or I don't feel it, but I just know. Yep. Um, that's, gosh, it's painful to watch once you've really stepped into the fullness of God's love. It's painful to see that. And it's also a really sad, poor, weak witness to the people watching around because it's not compelling. Yeah. Um, and that's hard because it's people who are at the end of their life. Right. So you want to like be gentle about it. Right. Um, but that's what I mean. No, thank you. That's helpful. Um, Yeah. Okay, lots to lots to chew on there. I appreciate your perspective, and especially one as someone who's ministered in that capacity as a hospital chaplain. I'm sure you saw that quite a bit. Um, yeah, healing is such an interesting one. We, we've had quote unquote healing services at Eastminster. We did it one time for a, I think it was like an Ash Wednesday service. We had a time of prayer and healing, and I we've seen really cool things happen. You know, one of the things that I, you told that story about the lady who had cancer. And um, I know for me, like I would say that God healed me of my depression during a season of my life when I was really mm-hmm. in, a, in a dark place. Yeah. But I will also say that he did so by means of a therapist. Yeah. At times medication. Yes. Like there are ways in which God heals that that don't have to be outside of getting treatment that makes sense and and i still i still give god the glory for that because i do believe god was working and bringing me to the places where i was able to humble myself like i need help you know and for people who um i know dr hank i've had conversations with hank letterly he told me um that you know the lord has removed his cancer again for at least a short amount of time but he also went through rigorous chemo right and that's the lord's grace to him he's like it was difficult but the lord's you know was ministered to me in my suffering of that time and there's something to that well and that is i think a strength 
of the Presbyterian denomination right. is God's power. Mm-hmm. Like nothing's going to happen without God's, you know, okay. Right. And I think the strength behind leaning so heavily into God being in all things is this, like, right, God opening your eyes. Right. Is God, you know, showing me, God opening my heart, God opening the door, God putting these people in my life. Um, and when you, you know, br- bring up the context, context of Eastminster, but to put it back here is... What God has been putting on my heart really heavily is exactly healing for Eastminster. But I don't in any way mean the changing of any kind of body or illness. Yeah. I mean the restoration of relationship Mm. um, amongst each other and with God. There's just this two-part charge of relationship that is exactly what it means to be the church. and. I mean, yes, bodily sickness is hard. I mean, yeah. we've both struggled oh, yeah. with that kind of recently. But I am so much more concerned with our kingdom mindset yeah. and, you know, what our witness is to the world. Yeah. And my prayer is that the spirit moves and my prayer is that the spirit heals and my prayer is that the spirit restores. Um so, I mean, you know, all the way back when we started at Pentecost, absolutely, I think it would be very anti the gospel to be like, the Holy Spirit doesn't move. Right. And it would be the very opposite of what the gospel says to say the gospel, like, God yep. isn't still redeeming. That is what we are working to. Yes. That is heaven coming down. Um, that's the direction we're going. Um, But, no. I mean... And I would say to bring it full circle to even you saying what the Lord's lit in your heart, like in my mind, that's a prophetic word. And when we talk about things like gift of prophecy, like I think some people are gifted to be able to speak prophetically over a situation. And I see that happen all the time. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, good, listen, this conversation can go for another hour. <laughs> and I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. We worked through some technical difficulties, but we made it. And a lot of, lot of good stuff in this conversation. It actually went in directions I was not expecting, which is always the best. So thank you for taking the time, Morgan. We will have you back because you're awesome. And uh, yeah, any final words before we wrap up? Any final last thoughts or? Okay, yes. Final yeah. thought. Yeah. We talked 1 Corinthians 14, yes. where he specifically addresses speaking in tongues and prophesying. Yes. He makes a note that prophesying is almost always edifying, yes. uplifting, and positive in nature. Mm. And I just wanted to make sure we we get that in there because what, you know, the same way we have kind of perverted what speaking in tongues mm. was meant to be, we have greatly disserviced prophesying. Yes. It's almost always been doomsday and negative oh, yeah. oh, in practice. That's a whole... I know it's like I... a whole nother podcast, but I'm telling you, yeah. just spend like if you're interested in these things, spend time in the word, read the commentaries, look mm. at the context. These were written to real people at a real time with real problems, and then like put it in your own life. What does this look like in a way that stays true to yeah. the Bible? 
Anyways, you're right. It could be a whole nother podcast, well, but uh, I just well, want no, to get no, in no. there. No, no. Now we have to go there. So <laughs> I just one thought on this. I, I have lost count of the amount of pastors who've had to resign because of their profit tries and trying to predict the 2020 election. As silly as that is. Who told their congregations, the Lord told me this is what will happen. And when it didn't happen, it caused so much harm. And I think it's just an interesting, because you're right, most of the time when we hear, think of prophecy, we think of doomsday or like the world will end on this day or yes. Harold camping or like, you know, these things that are not, uh, that when I say that you're, I felt like your word was prophetic, I, I mean it in the sense that it is an encouragement and uplifting as opposed to if, you know, you were to say on this day, this yes. will happen. It's not, not a prediction as much as it is seeing the world through um i think being in tune and walk walking with the spirit and being able to be in tune with that and listening yes we um, return to that question of to what end yeah and <laughs> i know it's getting kind of repetitive but to glorify god to make people see the kingdom at hand yeah. and it's like if you're using prophecy as a way to say god is going to work in this way you've already limited it you've stepped into something dangerous and am i saying that it's impossible for god to say to someone you know this is a specific way no because that would be a limitation but you better do your due diligence um because that i mean that is just i would just tread very very lightly on something like that um and i mean again could be a whole nother podcast but man you better be careful when you say god is gonna work like start to bring in politics um not only because you could be wrong (laughs) (laughs) but because when you're bringing the gift of prophecy something holy sacred into politics you're now mixing and intertwining two things that i don't think were ever meant to be intertwined Mm -hmm. And you are, when you get the opportunity to point people in a direction and say, look, you better be pointing at God. If you're pointing at a person, I don't care how good of a Christian they are, you've already messed up. Yep. So, ah, man, I'd be careful. And even the language, the Lord told me this. And I think there is a place to say, I I sense the Lord is is telling me or or speaking to me. Yes. The posture in which we hold those things is really important because um, we we should always, the scriptures tell us to test the spirits and to be discerning and um, yeah, and all those things. I think that's a good word of caution and yeah. Okay. Second ending to the podcast. Morgan, thank you. (laughs) Amazing. I'm afraid if we bring anything else up, we'll just keep going. So I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, tune in next every Monday and Thursdays when the episodes are dropping. Send in your questions. Um, I am getting close to the end of my list. That's why I need more questions. So send them in. Um, you can send them in to our website, eastminster.org slash betterquestions or to the email betterquestions at eastminster.org. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace. <laughs>